Well, it'll be great to have the Bible passage open in front of you. Um, it's inside the bulletin with your Bible open, that'll be good. Uh, Matthew chapter 25. And how about we pray as we come and think about this passage? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that everything you have to say to us is for our good. We ask that as we look at your word now and consider it carefully, we ask that you would help us uh, to have the joy that comes from knowing Jesus. Please strengthen us in our faith in him. Please challenge us and warn us as we need it. And help us to live well for Jesus. And we ask it in his name. Amen. Well, what if you missed what matters, what's really important? What if you're going through life, living day to day, doing what seems important, doing uh, those things, uh, but you actually haven't got it? The thing that really matters is passing you by. Well, let me make that an even sharper question. What if you're a Christian and you're missing out on what matters? When we say we're Christian, we're kind of uh, saying, well, we get it, right? We, we know, we get the universe, we have this special insight into what really matters, and it's other people who are missing out. Well, Matthew's gospel is filled with parables and stories of people who think they know what matters, but they're wrong. So wrong, in fact, that when it gets to the crunch point of human history, when the whole world stands before the judgment seat of Christ and Jesus sends some people into eternal life and some people into eternal punishment, there's a whole bunch of people standing there saying, hey, Jesus, what about us? And Jesus says to them, get away from me. I never knew you. How devastating it would be to be in that group. In kindness, Jesus tells the story that we have here in front of us today. It isn't a parable, it's a real description of the final day of judgment. It follows on from three parables where Jesus talks about someone's imminent arrival. A master, a bridegroom, another master... And Jesus speaks about how some people are ready for that arrival and some people aren't, even though they thought they were. And then the parables finish and we're given this real-life vision of the future with the real arrival of the king to judge the world. Are you ready for that arrival or are you fooling yourself? As Jesus tells this story, as he reveals what really matters, he gives us a strong warning, but he also gives us some of the sweetest words in the whole Bible, words to comfort us, words of hope and joy. So let's see what Jesus says really matters. First thing, Jesus matters. 
Jesus Christ actually matters. In fact, he matters more than anyone or anything else. You see it right there from verse 31. Have a look at verse 31 with me. Have it open there. Uh, When the Son of Man, that's Jesus, comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. Now, I suspect many of us are really familiar with that sort of image. Uh, and, And we don't get just how weird it is. Jesus coming in glory? This is a bloke from 2,000 years ago. He was stripped naked, spat on, slapped, whipped, rejected, betrayed, nailed to a cross, left to bake in the sun, left to thirst, left exposed as a criminal until he was dead. There's no glory in a corpse, especially one as bloody and beaten as he was. And yet to most Australians... He isn't even a corpse. He's a swear word. I asked a class once if anyone knew what the name Jesus meant. And a student who'd never been in my class before, they were new to the school, shoots up their hand and says, oh, that's what you say when you're frustrated. And it was a really innocent comment. I mean, that is the only place that they'd heard the name Jesus before. In Orange today, people see no glory in the name Jesus. They see glory in owning a land or a house. There's glory in promotion at work, glory in a successful career, glory in a good work-life balance, glory in owning a boat or a holiday house or a four-wheel drive. But on the last day, none of that will matter. Because on the last day, the risen, living Lord Jesus Christ will appear in his glory. He'll be brighter than the morning sun. He'll be surrounded by thousands and thousands and thousands of angels. He'll take his seat on the throne of glory and everyone will see it. Verse 32 says, all the nations will be gathered before him. It won't matter if you're from North Orange or South Orange, New South Wales or Victoria, Australia or New Zealand, China, Russia or the West. It won't matter if you're powerful or poor. It won't matter if you got a promotion at work, if you got really good exam results, if you own a holiday house, if you have a great lawn or if you saw the Swiss Alps before you die. All those things won't matter in the slightest. There'll be nothing. Instead, you'll see that Jesus matters. If you're someone who hasn't given your life over to Jesus yet, I'd encourage you to take this snapshot of the future very seriously. It would be horrible to get to the last day and discover that everything you thought mattered didn't. In fact, it may have even got in the way of you focusing on what and who really matters. The church is running a Christianity Explored course starting in February. It looks carefully at who Jesus really is. You might invest that time and you might come away thinking, eh, he's not worth the trouble, in which case all you've lost is a few evenings. Of course, you may discover that Jesus is the one who matters more than anything else, in which case what you gain is, well, we'll see it in a little while. But Jesus really matters. 
And once we've seen the arrival of the great king in this passage, Jesus goes on to to describe how he's going to divide the world. He has every human who's ever lived standing in front of him, and he divides them into two groups, just like a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And I bet as we read that in the passage, we all thought knowingly to ourselves, ah, yes, just like a shepherd separates a sheep from the goats because we're country people and we know all about that. Who am I kidding? I grew up in Sydney. I'm doing well to even recognise a sheep, let alone a goat. Uh, Sorry to the farmers here if you're here. Uh, Anyway, for those of us who may be a little bit more agriculturally ignorant, in Jesus' day, sheep and goats were generally kept together in one flock, but occasionally you had to separate them. I don't know why you had to separate them. Maybe they had to use separate bathrooms. Anyway, Jesus separates the people, and he talks first to the people, and he's right. These are the ones he's going to commend. They're the ones who have done what really mattered. And what really matters is that they cared. They cared about the king. They cared about Jesus, not just in their heads. It wasn't just words for them. They actually showed their love, care and affection practically for Jesus. Have a look at how happy Jesus is with them because of it. Look at what he gives them. He actually gives them a share in his kingdom, in verse 31. Verse 31, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For, and now he tells them why he's so happy with them, And it's actually, he gives them a list of things, and it's a really significant list. It gets repeated four times in the passage, so obviously we're meant to hear it. And we need to notice the people's care for Jesus when he appeared powerless. We've already seen him appear in his glory on his throne, but this is not that. Look at how they cared for him in verse 35. I was hungry... And you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. It's easy to serve powerful people who can give you stuff and, uh, and look after you. It's much harder to care for people who are weak and powerless and seem to be able to give you nothing. Easy to care for a friend, much harder to care for a stranger. But then the people ask Jesus a kind of obvious question. When? When did all this happen? Like, you'd think you'd notice if you popped into prison for a visit with the king of the universe. I mean, you walk in the jail cell and there's the bunk, there's the toilet, and there's the throne of glory with the thousands of angels sort of floating around there. That sort of thing would stick in the memory. But they can't remember doing it. So they ask him in verse 37, and we get the whole list again. 
Verse 37, then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or without clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, I assure you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Now, if you're wondering who Jesus' brothers are, it isn't poor people in general. Now, this passage has been used a lot to say that we should care for poor people, and that's a really good thing to do, but it's not what this passage is about. Now, Jesus is talking about Christians. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 50, chapter 12, verse 50, if you're taking notes, you can look at, look at it later. Jesus says, Whoever does the will of my Father in heaven, that person is my brother and sister and mother. See, Jesus is so bound to his people, his followers, that he's brought them into his family. More than that, he's so bound to his people that when you care for one of his people, you're also caring for Jesus. Sometimes in this world, you really have to make a choice about who you're going to stand with. Sometimes the Christian person will be the most embarrassing person to stand with. Everyone else has rejected them because they're a follower of Jesus. But even the most despised, weak, pitiful Christian is a brother or sister of the king. If you choose to stand with them, it's because you choose to stand with Jesus. And if you stand with Jesus, you're his brother or sister. And his return will be a really happy day for you. I know there'll be many people here who have done things to care for other Christians. Secret things. Unglamorous things. Visited them when they're sick made them a meal when they need it, invited them into your home even though you barely even knew them, given money to support them. Most people didn't see what you did. Jesus saw, and he's really happy with it, happy that you cared for his brother or sister, happy that he's more important to you than the things this world has to offer. And he's looking forward to the day when he'll get to invite you to inherit the kingdom that his father's prepared for you. So Jesus matters, and caring for Jesus matters, which of course means that not caring for Jesus matters. So Jesus turns to the people on his left I'm really sorry you chose to sit on my left tonight. I'm not picking on you. You just happened to be over there. Uh, Jesus turns to the people on his left and he shows them how they didn't care. They didn't care for him. They didn't care for his family. And you can see how much it matters by the punishment that's in store for them. Have a look at verse 41 with me. Verse 41. Then he'll also say to those on the left, Depart from me, 
You who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you didn't take me in. I was naked and you didn't clothe me. Sick and in prison and you didn't take care of me. Now, just like the first group, these people are surprised. What on earth is Jesus talking about? Surely if they saw Jesus in all his glory and power and majesty, they would have noticed. Surely if they saw him needing help, they would have helped. It's a great honour to help any king, let alone this king. And so they ask the same question in verse 44. Then they too will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or without clothes or sick or in prison and not help you? Then he'll answer them, I assure you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me either. And they will go away into eternal punishment but the righteous into eternal life. Jesus isn't playing games here. This is the difference between eternal punishment and eternal life. And there are people who think that they're fine with Jesus, but on the last day they'll be shocked, shocked to discover that he's not fine with them. All along, they've turned their back on Jesus' brothers and sisters, which means they've been turning their back on Jesus. When might we do that? When are we in danger of this? Let me shoot out a few possibilities and see if any of them strike a chord with you. Perhaps you're someone who loves the mental rigour of being a Christian. You love thinking about doctrine and the intricacies of a Bible passage and sitting down and really getting to grips with it. You're happy to have a long conversation about it. But you've never even thought to spend time with a sick Christian or the plight of a hungry poor Christian like the Afghani Christians who had to flee for their lives uh, when the Taliban took over last year. If that's you you might be in danger. Or perhaps you're going through the motions. Sure, you come to church, you may even be part of a Bible study, but it never really costs you. The sort of love Jesus is talking about in this passage costs. It costs time, it costs emotional energy, it costs money. Uh, It's the cost that says my everything belongs to Jesus and I want to use it for his service. If it never costs you to serve Jesus, uh, to serve other Christians, perhaps there's a problem. Here's another one. Uh, many of us have felt in churches, and this is a hard one, many of us have felt in churches unloved or not very well loved. We would love someone to treat us like Jesus is describing here, but we just haven't seen it. And that's really hard. In fact, it's wrong, isn't it? Sometimes, though, we can use that as an excuse to draw back from serving others. 
We don't, want to, we don't want to invest in other Christians who haven't invested in us. We don't really want to be around them much. And that's not what Jesus has called us to. He's called us to serve like he's served us. To love like he's loved us. Jesus hasn't withdrawn from his brothers and sisters, even though we let him down all the time. If you withdraw, you're actually in danger of withdrawing from Jesus. One more. Perhaps you're a busy Christian. You lead youth groups, Sunday school, Adrenalites. You're on the set-up, pack-up, lock-up, sit-up roster. You're leading church and running the computer and sound desk at the same time because you're that awesome. You're very busy with really good things. But none of the things Jesus mentions here have anything to do with rosters, as good as rosters are. They're actually about having your eyes open and saying, oh, there's a Christian who's sick and I could actually visit them. Or they're hungry and I could make them a meal. Or I haven't even met them before, but I've heard they're coming to town and I can give them a bed. Brothers and sisters, we've got to have our eyes open to each other. We've got to know each other, see each other, love each other, love in the way that costs. Visiting our sick brothers and sisters, practically caring for their needs. If they lose their job, they're struggling to eat or get enough clothes, that isn't just their problem, it's our problem. We'll never be able to do that if we don't know each other's needs. If we aren't hanging out at church every week, slowly getting to know each other, relationships take time and energy. But Jesus Christ has saved us and made us both his brothers and sisters 